Katie, what's up? Jesse, I have an embarrassing confession to make. Yes, go for it. Okay. Do you recall last week we had a non-correction correction to something that I'd said about the writer Gino Diaz? Yep. It, it was pretty pretty confusing and non-conclusive, I would say. Right. So for people who, who might have missed that, two weeks ago I said on the show – that Juno Diaz, who was, uh, he, there were some Me Too allegations against him. So one of the main allegations against him was that he kissed someone non-consensually, a woman. This is a fellow writer. And I said on the podcast that this was complicated by the fact that it, it turned out that he was in a group of people and he kissed all of them in greeting. After I said this. On the cheek, right? Or the, I, I believe okay. on the cheek. And after I said this. Some people asked where that detail was from, and I couldn't remember, and I looked it up, and I couldn't find anything. Nothing had been published about this, and I thought, like, did I hear this on a podcast? Did I dream this? I don't think that I made it up. Like, where did this information come from? So I mentioned that on the show last week, and I got a text from a friend of the pod yesterday. Let me read you this. I am your Juno Diaz source. That detail is from an investigation we never published at the Redacted. You're going to have to confess that you got stoned with the journalist who told you something. <laughs> so so we're passing on information that this outlet was not confident enough to publish. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that they didn't publish it because they weren't confident in that particular detail. Okay. So, so that's where you got it. You got it from a stone conversation and then repeat it on the, on the podcast. I got it from a friend. I basically violated all sorts of journalistic, journalistic ethics by repeating what is a an unpublished detail from an investigation. So it's not that this was false. It's that I couldn't find it anywhere because it hasn't been published anywhere because it was a secret. <laughs> and I revealed it on a podcast to tens of thousands of listeners. My apologies to my source for this, my unwitting source in this very important piece of information. Uh, I have a similar apology. Three weeks ago when I said pee is stored in the balls, um, <laughs> that was from my five-year-old niece. I had forgotten the source, but that's that. I checked and it turns out that's not true. True. It's not true. You did the Wikipedia. <laughs> did the Wikipedia. You know what? That might actually – you might store pee in the balls. <laughs> I do. There's a lot of stuff going on down there. That seems pretty different. Uh, but You need to get checked out. <laughs> Katie, what is the name of this factually oriented podcast? This is Blocked and Reported and I am Katie Herzog. I am Jesse Single and Katie, we are devoting the entire podcast to a man who couldn't less deserve this much attention. This is the show that we have been waiting for since we started this podcast. This is like some horribly irresponsible, like, 2005 action show where we have tracked a terrorist who killed our families across the world. We have him sitting in a chair bound with duct tape and we need to figure out what to do with him. Is that not an understatement, if anything, of our present situation. Yes, I would say that is a very accurate way to portray what is happening today. This is our white whale. <laughs> the stakes could not be higher. What follows is the most important piece of media you will hear this or any other year. The man in question, Noah – I wanted to say his middle initial, but I don't know. Let's say Q, Noah Q Berlatsky. Age 50. <laughs> you love that. You love – already. <laughs> Let's just get into this for a minute. Noah does not – Either doesn't look 50 or uses photos from like 20 years ago. But you you like to point out that this man is 50 years old. Don't you realize that in um, – if I have the math right, two or three years, you're going to be 50? Look, the most surprising thing about Noah Berlatsky is not that he graduated from Oberlin. It's that he graduated from Oberlin in 1989. 
The reason it is surprising that he is 50 is not – and 50 plus because I found out this information a couple years ago – is not just because of the way that he looks. He is very youthful looking. It's because of the way he acts. <laughs> Our our ability to tell this story coherently is going to be constantly derailed by our disdain for this man. I'm just gonna the the urge to just throw pot shots at this little weasel. Um Okay, so we're doing this podcast because our corner of the internet has been ablaze for the last what week, week and a half, with the idea that Noah Berlatsky is at worst a pedophile, capital P pedophile, at best a pedophile apologist or enabler. Yes. And this is the perfect podcast for Blocked and Reported because it is our it is our two primary interests, internet bullshit and pedophilia. We love both those things. We totally You do. can quote us, we love pedophilia. This is our beat. This story was made for us. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna spend the first half, I'm gonna explain what what yeah, I, I meant to say who, but really it's a what. Noah's a what. What Noah Berlatsky is and why he sort of exemplifies some of the worst aspects of online life in this accursed century. Uh, and then we're going to have you take over after the break to sort of explain these precise accusations and, and how much merit there is to them. Yes. If this were Vox, this would be Noah Berlatsky, the pedophile, explained. <laughs> no, it would be some shitty like uh, – yeah. Is Noah Berlatsky a pedophile, comma – Explains. Yes. And we're, I think that we are going to be the ultimate arbiters of this. We are the judges here. The word ends with us. If Noah Berlatsky is a pedophile or not, you will find out by the end of this podcast. I think this is a good, like, microcosm of a bigger model where we're, we should be the deciders on questions like this rather than the legal system. Absolutely. It's like a Judge Judy situation, but on podcast form. So, okay, Katie, let's say you get into an elevator and it's full of Taliban fighters. <laughs> Okay, I'm there. With me so far? It's my dream. They, they they point their U.S. supplied weapons at you and they say, explain to us who Noah Berlatsky is by the time we get to the 20th floor. What what would be your, your elevator explanation of what he is? I would take one of their guns and point it at my head and pull, it, pull the <laughs> That's how I would like, handle the situation. The true the true human rights abuse is the Taliban forcing you to talk about Noah Berlatsky. No, that's the actual perfect metaphor for Noah Berlatsky. <laughs> um, okay, so what he basically is, he is a a pundit who is very active on Twitter. He's he's a longtime writer for um, Splice Today, Arc Digital. He's also stepped foot in more mainstream places like The Guardian, Playboy. Has he written for like the Washington Post? Uh, I don't know that the Washington Post would publish him. NBC will. Yeah, yeah, I just checked. He's written for the Washington Post because, of course, yeah. That says everything you need to know about the state of the Washington Post right now. Yeah, so he's, yeah, he's written for them. He's written for like NBC's opinion thing. He's written for a lot of places. And um, throughout this whole thing, I'm going to try to avoid doing what he does, which is to make claims about other people without backing them up. But I feel like it's pretty safe to say that he is – Fairly reviled by a number of like relatively big name writers from across the political spectrum, right? Yes, that is absolutely fair to say. Here, I think, is a – let me just describe to you Noah in one headline written by Noah, or at least the piece is written by Noah. This is from the New Republic, 2015. Kermit has a new girlfriend. Good. His last one was a domestic abuser. That is, yes, about Miss Piggy. Uh, we could basically just end this segment there, right? Here's the f even funnier thing. This is not the only piece he has written about this. If you Google Noah Berlatsky, Miss Piggy, as you just, as I just did, you will find another piece in Splice Today 
Why is Muppet violence funny? Because we've decided it is, it is by Noah Berlowski. He has written about this multiple times. So when <laughs> so Noah Berlowski filed his piece for TNR about Ms. Piggy's domestic violence, saw it published, read it, and was like, hmm, I think I have more to say on Dude, this. Dude, Jesse, oh my god, I just went further back in Google. Vice. Oh, no. The Muppets are back and sexier than ever by Noah Berlatsky. <laughs> that's three. That's three pieces about the fucking Muppets. So lest you think we're exaggerating when we say he is uh, disliked by people across the political spectrum, uh, one good source to substantiate that claim is Noah Berlatsky himself. So he self-published a book called Chattering Class War, Punching Pundits from Chait to Chapo and Brooks to Breitbart. Let's just talk about that title for a minute. Who, what percentage of people, when you publish a book, you want people to read it. That's right? the goal. I think that's my understanding is correct. Uh, not, not that I've necessarily accomplished that, but so what percentage of potential readers will understand punching pundits from Chait to Chapo and Brooks to Breitbart? There's four people who understand that. They're listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> Two of them are hosting it. You should it. be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. So it, he self-published his book. And if you go to the Amazon page, you'll see the there's a section called editorial reviews. That's really the section you put your blurbs. So when my book came out, I asked people for blurbs for the book and I got some nice blurbs. It's it's sort of a corrupt process, but it's part of the game. Noah didn't do that. Instead, he just did quotes of people from across the political spectrum talking shit about him, ranging from John Podhoritz on the right to Angela Nagel on the left. It includes me complaining about wasting time arguing with him on Twitter. Uh, he seems to think that he is like a bold truth teller. And the reason people from across the political spectrum dislike him is because, because of that, because he's brave and speaks truth to power. Now there is, there is something to the idea that if like you get it from all sides, you're doing something right, but it could also be that you're just an asshole, right? In Noah's case, I believe it's the latter. And these are tweets that he took. These aren't like, he didn't like reach out to you and said like, will you give me a blurb for your book, for my book? He just took tweets. Yes. Uh, here's how I think friend of the pod Ben Burgess summed this up recently on Twitter really well. He's one of the most consistently and maliciously dishonest writers alive. Um, and, and, and it's maliciousness and dishonesty, like, paired with judginess. He, he, so Freddie DeBoer has a great essay called Planet of Cops about the suffocating atmosphere of progressive online spaces. The original version of that ep, uh, essay included this. You want to see a career cop? Here's a cop. Morning, noon, and night. Judging, indicting, sentencing, never doing anything else ever. And there's a link to, to some of Noah Berlatsky's work. I think that sums it up because like, this is a guy who thinks we should write two or three articles about uh, the Muppets being problematic. Right. And he – so in his ebook, he has a chapter about you, right? Or more than one chapter about you? It's – it's here. I have a screenshot of part of the um, – so chap, Chatterer 3 – we're all called Chatterers because we chatter. Chatterer 3 is Freddie DeBoer – this just, I guess, it's sort of a compilation of the articles he's written online. So there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There are ten articles about Freddie DeBoer in this one book. I love Freddie DeBoer. It's more than he wrote about the Muppets. Yeah, Freddie DeBoer is great. 
no one needs to write Tenric articles about Freddie DeBoer. They, they have headlines like Freddie DeBoer versus aesthetics. Freddie DeBoer fulminates against fulminating. So it gets very meta. He loves alliteration. He really he? does. It's incredibly online. There's uh, three articles about me. I think if he rewrote this book today, there'd be more because as we'll see, he's developed a little bit of a fixation. It, one of the titles uh, is, is Jesse Single a Bigot. I hope it's just, it just says yes, and that's it. So in terms of his political opinions, I, I think like the best designator is Radlib. He's like a, he's not like a leftist. He doesn't, he's just like a sort of Hillary Obama, very angry, very pro corporate wokeism type, like criticizing the dirtbag left, which is like people who don't have the right sort of aesthetics. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, he's he's a resistance lib. He's he's mean about it. I don't know exactly who he favored, but he spent a lot of time criticizing. Like the reason he goes off on Angela Nagel so much is because he really hates like materially oriented leftists who think corporate wokeism is dumb. He's very into anti- identity politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has like a lot of people have their pronouns in his bio. Not a lot of people have it as the first thing in their bio. Noah does. Yeah. So – the the main problem here, and and this is where I do try to be charitable in general, but I think Noah is either a liar or he isn't smart enough to be a professional writer. He so consistently misrepresents people's opinions and just mangles them that I think the only two options are he's lying or he's just like incompetent. Can I give one really quick example that I think sort of sums it up? Oh, please do. So Carl uh, Beyer, B-E-I-J-E-R, is is sort of a, you know, a dirtbag leftist, for lack of a better term, big Bernie guy. And he had a blog post I'll link to that pointed to a sort of um, disagreement between Berlaski and friend of the pod, Katie Halper. Uh, we went on her podcast with, with Matt Taibbi. Um, so this is what Noah Berlaski said about Katie Halper. Halper bizarrely suggests that what is really needed in discussions of the Holocaust is less focus on anti-Semitism and more discussion of German economic grievances and anger over Versailles. That's a treaty of Versailles that sort of uh, crippled the German economy and, and paved the way for Hitler. These factors are actually very frequently discussed in explaining Hitler's rise to power, but economic anxieties aren't generally used to explain the Holocaust because trying to explain the largest racist genocide in history with gestures at the supposed economic anxieties of the perpetrators is widely and rightly recognized as obscene. This, then, is the sad endpoint of the dirtbag left's confused efforts to throw the mantle of working-class authenticity over asshole racists. So he's basically accusing Katie Halper a Jewish leftist of saying that when we talk about the Holocaust, we focus on anti-Semitism too much. Katie, do you think that Katie Halper actually said that? I'm sure she did. And in fact, she's correct. We talk about Jews too much when we talk about the Holocaust. <laughs> Bayer went and he found the actual clip from this podcast Halper did. Here's what she said. I'll just read it. I think that sometimes the comparisons, meaning the comparisons between Trump's America and Nazi Germany are good, but the point is the people who are so quick to make these comparisons, they're very selective in it. So they've compared Trump to Hitler, but they won't look at the Weimar Republic and how it compares to now, right? I don't think most of these people would look at the Holocaust and say it was just anti-Semitism. Nothing about the economic collapse, nothing about the Treaty of Versailles had anything to do with it. Maybe they would and they're more idiotic than I think, but – and she goes on. So – Halper is saying that if you are going to compare Trump to Hitler, and and she's not fully endorsing that comparison, I'm not. I'm just stepping into her shoes. You should be able to also do what what scholars of the Holocaust do and look at the root causes of Hitler coming to power. Look at the root causes of Trump coming to power, which in her worldview 
include economic causes. That is in no way saying that we should discount anti-Semitism as a reason for the Holocaust. And that's the kind of thing where it's like either Noah Berlatsky has a major reading comprehension problem or he's just lying about what she said. I would love to get uh, – this sounds terrible, but I would love to just get in Noah's brain for a day and figure out if he even believes the things that he's saying. So instead of being instead of being John Malkovich, being Noah Berlatsky? <laughs> it's a uh, – yeah, it's a horror film. Um, he, he must believe these things, right? I think like the – with like – okay, all this is performative in the sense that – Berlaski is publicly accusing people of stuff. And I think the line between like belief and something fuzzier just like it feels like approximately what Katie Halper is saying. I think it gets complicated. Um, I, I think he just has like shitty reading comprehension. Can I give you one more example actually? Yeah, please do. Okay, so for some reason, I mean, part of the problem here is that like outlets keep giving him a platform despite the low quality of his work. Pacific Standard let him review John Haidt and Greg Lukianoff's Coddling of the American Mind. Here's what Berlatsky says. The authors swear by the trite slogan that adversity makes you stronger. But in practice, everyone recognizes that while some life experiences may make you stronger, others diminish you, sometimes permanently. Being shelled in war or suffering sexual abuse or being wrongly imprisoned or being continually screamed at and insulted by your boss at work, these aren't growth experiences. Katie, do you think John Haidt and Greg Lukianoff said that all adversity is always good? Oh, definitely. If Noah said it, then it must be true, right? Here's a direct quote from Colleague of the American Mind. After they sum up a lot of research on adverse childhood experiences and other stuff, here's what Haidt and Lukianoff say. The lesson we draw from this brief review of research on social class and parenting is that although kids are naturally anti-fragile, there are two very different ways to damage their development. One is to neglect and underprotect them, exposing them early to severe and chronic adversity. This has happened to some of today's college students, particularly those from working class or poor families. The other is to overmonitor and overprotect them, denying them the thousands of small challenges, risks, and adversities that they need to face on their own in order to become strong and resilient adults. So my whole thing is like, my whole thing is that it is impossible for an intelligent person to have read that passage and then produce the text Noah Berlatsky produced. He's either lying or he's not that smart. That's fair, right? That's fair. He he wrote about um, Evergreen State College, about what happened with Heather Hying and Brett Weinstein, and he got so many just basic facts wrong. I just looked at the piece and there are four corrections in it, and I'm sure there's still more shit that is incorrect in this piece. He just he he, he has no familiarity with the situation at all. Uh, yeah, he doesn't. And, and I think one of the, one of the things he takes advantage of is it's like the thing I just read is utter bullshit, but it'd be hard to ask for a correction because he's just sort of very selectively describing what they said. He's not getting something objectively wrong, although he does that too. He takes shit out of context. He filters it through his weird Noah fucking filter and then shits out something that is a distortion of whatever the author actually intended. Yeah. And he does this. Again, constantly, and and we'll include plenty of uh, evidence in the show notes, and you can see his own book's page where there should be blurbs talking about how good the book is. Is just people talking shit about him. That should tell you something. And you've had some run-ins with him, right? Yes. Uh, Noah Berlatsky really, really hates me. Like at first, I didn't think that his dislike. Well, everyone gets one thing right. <laughs> stop. <laughs> I, uh, stop. Berlatsky is right once a day. Um, <laughs> I think at first it was like he just sort of disliked me the same way he likes dislikes John Shade and Freddie DeBoer, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
you can look at the table of contents of his weird book where there are only three articles about me versus ten articles about Freddie DeBoer. I like how he um, does seem to have a little bit of a crush on on Freddie. I like how Chapter Seven, David Brooks, and Chapter Eight, Bill Maher, both of whom are orders of magnitude more important yeah. than anyone we're talking about. Each of them only get two articles, so he just yeah. he gets very fixated. Um, over the years, he has, in my view, gotten. I don't want to keep using this word, but like a little bit fixated. Basically, he's taken up it upon himself to spread whatever negative information uh, about me he comes across. He, he doesn't fact check it. He just spreads it. So let me read a tweet. Trans people keep DMing me to talk about unpleasant experiences they've had with single, <laughs> which they can't share publicly because they're afraid of the consequences in terms of harassment, professional blowback, what have you. Me too. It happens all the time. It's a really good point because one thing you know, like if you go on Twitter, people are terrified to criticize. <laughs> they're them. afraid of your, your reply guy army. This one I really like. It, it's a tweet storm he did. Um, he's referring to his son here. His son is now his daughter. Uh, she transitioned to female. I just asked my son if his trans friends know about Singles Atlantic essay. This is the piece I did on, on detransition and, and young trans people. He said they did because it's cited online to harass trans people all the time. <laughs> he didn't know Jesse's name, just knew about the article. My son says he knows about the Atlantic article because his trans friend's parents have read it and cite it as a reason not to give them access to puberty blockers and other health interventions. So basically just what you'd fear would happen, happened. That definitely happened. It, it's so interesting that his child's sense of like the media landscape and what and what's most damaging to trans youth is exactly identical to Noah's own sense of those things. Do you think there's a big anti-single presence on TikTok? Isn't that what kids do? <laughs> oh God, they're just doing like little dances. Uh, a turf dances. I'm not yeah. narcissistic enough to think that any 12 year olds know who I am. Um, right. So, so Noah, as you mentioned, Noah's child did transition a couple years ago, and I saw something that he wrote recently about this. And he said that his kid is goes to some like art school and a bunch of the kids friends transitioned and then the kid transitioned. Meanwhile, he has consistently denied the possibility that there is any element of social contagion when it comes to transition. While having, and this is not to say that his kid doesn't have gender dysphoria. I don't know. I'm not the kid's clinician. But if you have, that's like a group of children who all come out at the same time, a peer group, that's maybe something you want to at least think about. Yes. And, and that the hatred sort of coalesced into, um, he posted on his Patreon a Jesse Single resource page. I have a whole resource page dedicated to me. So I guess I, I now beat Freddie DeBoer, who had 10 articles about him in one Noah Berlatsky book. Noah thinks about you too much. I mean, we're now doing a podcast, a whole podcast about him. So I guess we found the trap, but, um, so th this, and then we, we will have a, we, we will have a resources page for this. Fuck. <laughs> Are we any better than Noah Berlatsky? I think we're worse. So. He did this whole resource page where he literally just any bad thing anyone had said about me online, he, he collected it there and published it and, and amplified it without fact checking it. And he doesn't, maybe he knows more now that he is a trans kid, but he doesn't know anything about trans issues. So like there's a sentence early on, single has written numerous articles about desisters, people who transition and then change their minds and transition back to the gender they were assigned at birth. That's not what desisters even are. Everything in the sentence is wrong. I haven't written numerous articles. That's not what desisters are. Desisters are, are desistance is like if the gender dysphoria abates in time. There are desisters who never trans transitioned in the first place. Also, obviously, I haven't written numerous articles about, he, he was mad about two articles. Um, 
So yeah, after that, there's just every negative art internet rumor Noah could find about me. He just amplified on a so-called resource page. Didn't fact check any of this with me. This was, this is the equivalent. If we had just recorded a podcast saying a lot of people online are saying Noah Berlatsky's a pedophile. So be it. I mean, that that's what he did. And that's really fucked up, especially if you're going to claim to be a journalist. And wait, that might still happen. Stay tuned. <laughs> All right. One last thing from the resource page. Because Noah isn't a very good writer, he sometimes does these accidentally amazing sentences. Uh, so Josephine Livingstone is is a, a TNR reporter. They don't like us. They've they've talked about us. Um, Wait, doesn't didn't they transition? Isn't it Joe Livingstone? Oh, uh, maybe it's Joe Livingstone now. So it's now. It is now. Okay, so at the time it was Josephine, and here's a, here's a um, link Noah does to an article he did about me. Joe Livingstone on how Foucault describes singles' relationship to knowledge and power. <laughs> Wait, I'm trying to eat, like on how Foucault describes singles relation. Okay, I didn't know that you that you knew him. I was the main inspiration for Foucault, despite <laughs> seeming uh, timeline issues. Uh, okay, so that is the case against Berlatsky, and why I think we both think he's just a bad and frankly an immoral dude, and and he is a shitty person to interact with and a shitty person to have write about you. Uh, this is why he attracts so much dislike from across the political spectrum. But that is all a separate question from whether he is literally a pedophile. And we will answer that question after the break. All right. I know you're all on the edge of your seats waiting to find out if Noah Berlatsky is a pedophile. But first, some housekeeping. You can always reach us at blocktoreportedpodcast at gmail.com or subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash blocktoreported. Thank you to Soft and Chewy for moderating. Uh, we have merch at barpod.org. None of it Noah Berlatsky related, at least not, not yet. yet. Not yet. What else? Apple Podcasts? Rate and review us? Oh, yeah. Please rate and review us. Yes. What else? What else? Uh, did you do the email? I did. Blocktoreportedpodcast at gmail.com. What else? Katie, what else? Okay, we have a Patreon page. If you go to patreon.com slash blocked and reported, you can get three extra episodes of this very podcast every month. That's for just $5 a month. You also get ad-free episodes. You get access to a big community of listeners, lots of robust conversations, and you get to participate in our personal service. Yes, this is a convoluted tax evasion plot we recently came up with <laughs> where if you're a patron, you can send us a note. Actually, you can't anymore. It's over. We closed it down at the end of August. We have a backlog of people who submitted personals and then Katie and I read them on the air. And then if you like what you hear, you don't need to be a Patreon to respond. Send an email to barpodpersonals at gmail.com. Yes. If you're Noah Berlatsky, you're not allowed to respond to any of these. If no one put out an ad, it would be like seeking Jesse Single and Freddie DeBoer for internet threesome. Can you imagine how few people would want to watch that? Okay. Our first ad, fit, fun, classically attractive bisexual couple. Couple. Whoa. Couple in eastern Pennsylvania looking for a third to hang out, have a drink, and see how we click. We are well-read and love banter and arguing about obscure legal or political trivia. She's a certified yoga instructor with breasts that are both great and huge for her small frame, specifying to avoid journalistic errors. He will make a Mm. a great latte for you in the morning if you spend the night. Wow. We are branching out into troubles. As, as we mentioned the last episode, as we wind down this this segment, they're getting weirder and more desperate and more and more kinky. <laughs> Micro niche internet celebrity is getting divorced. This sounds like something we should do a story on. This fifty year old Marxist and novelist can be seen on YouTube and is looking for love. 
going through a divorce after 26 years of marriage. Are you a 35 through 55 year old woman who longs for conversations about the labor theory of value and or the science fiction of Philip K. Dick? Are you seeking traditional dates and awkward sex? <laughs> it's like I wrote this except for the age. I'm your man. Irreversible baggage. Good headline. Emotionally stunted, middle-aged, gay, ex-closet nerd, fake writer turned software engineer, game designer. I went to Iowa, God help me, looking for life-minded, health-conscious boy with whom to escape from New York back to the South and hole up, pun intended, in an airy, restored, quaint downtown uh, mansion loft and binge play 8-bit classics while arguing over whether Stargate SG-1 qualifies as what Saul Bellow meant by a low-selling masterpiece, etc. That was the longest sentence I've ever fucking read. Short and uh, rye-bearded tops preferred, though I'm flexible. It is getting weirder. I, I'm not one to give relationship advice, given my own romantic history, but some of you are too specific. <laughs> This is a very good point. Just say you're seeking a man of a, within a certain age range. Come on, people, be less picky. <laughs> I just, I'm just looking for a hole of some sort. Uh, all right, here's a much more. A much, here, this is back, back our speed. Canadian bar pod fanatic, 35 year old woman in the most liberal city in the most conservative part of Canada. Lost some friends when I took a job with the cops. Ooh. Ooh. So I have free time to meet people with similar podcast interests. I like a lot of the cliche things people like in dating profiles. Also trained in Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu. So any murderers who come for me are in for a world of hurt. Mountain Man. Katie may be America's last lesbian, but hopefully there's at least one other gay dude out there for the stereotypical Colorado man in his 30s who loves hiking, biking, skiing, camping, and our national parks. Please accept my very unusual quirks, such as occasional church going and a nascent dog allergy. Let's talk to Sasserone and tackle Tori's, Tori's Peaks together. That, um, yeah, that's, I hope all of you guys find love forever. Yeah, we're, thank God we're running low on these. We're not, we're not, Katie. There's, <laughs> like, we're never there's so be many I have not put in the document yet. God. There's so many. I'm sorry I said that I would do this. I'm sorry I'm making you do it too. This whole thing was a bad idea, but we're committed now. Much like this podcast. All we ask is that if if anyone gets married from this, we get invited to the wedding. And you have to name your kids Katie Jesse. Like one name, Katie Jesse. One, one name. More. And it's not hyphenated, yeah. Should we get back to pedophilia? Let's get back to pedophilia. Okay, so Noah has blocked both of us. He also has, after this whole thing started, he locked down his Twitter. So what I'm what I have are screenshots that have been floating around of some tweets that Noah posted earlier this week. And um, I don't know the context of this conversation, but I'm just going to read – I'm just going to read Noah's tweets. And this is the thing that that I think started this whole thing. Someone tweets, what's with all these blue checks trying to rebrand child trafficking lately? Noah quote tweets this and he says – Trafficking is a term that conflates underage people trading sex, consensual sex work, immigration, and all kinds of labor exploitation in all industries. It's a deliberately obfuscating term, which is basically designed to target sex workers rather than labor exploitation. And then this, this goes on. He says, how is someone trafficked when there's no trafficker? Most underage people trading sex don't have pimps. They're not crossing state lines. They're mostly homeless and looking for shelter and food. How does quote unquote trafficking help us understand this? And then in the context of this conversation with people basically accusing Noah of, of like minimizing child trafficking. And we should be minimizing child trafficking because he's, he's, he's suggesting Underage people who trade sex, like that's just like a normal 
that they're just sort of it that makes it sound like they're just sort of like doing that consensually like that's a, a decision a 15 year old can really make well he does say that children can't consent but i think his point and i think his point is a it's a pedantic one but it's like factually true if someone's not being trafficked how is there a trafficker um i get gotcha. that but it's pedantic and dumb and i don't know why anyone would make that point yeah um although i'm pedantic and and make stupid points like that anyway we both are anyway so in the course of this conversation someone points out that noah works for prostasia which is uh according to this person an organization that works for pedo rights this tweet says like they want you to call them maps, minor attracted person instead of pedophiles, and legalize animated child pornography and child sex dolls. We're going to get back to these allegations in a little bit, but this is how this starts. Noah is – he's not like – he like outed as as working for this organization because it was literally in his bio. Like I knew that he was working for them for months. Yeah, me too. He responds – I am director of communications, a part-time job, and I'm proud of my association with them and the work they do to try to get people mental health resources and counseling so they don't harm children. So, right. So th- th- this tweet with these screenshots gets like more than a thousand retweets. Everyone's piling on and be like, holy shit, Noah Berlatsky. There's also some of the context here is that he said weird ass shit. That's the technical term in journalism, weird ass shit about – um, he did a, a, a tweet about how parents are, are tyrants because of the power they have over children. He once said, he says parent is an oppressive class, like rich people or white people. And, and that, I mean, it's just, it's par for the course for no, that's a weird thing to say and, and, uh, not a proper analogy. He's also, this what, is why it's weird that he's 50 because he tweets this shit that you, that you would expect from an angry teenager. Parents are tyrants. <laughs> like a 14 year old on Tumblr. My parents are tyrants. He also once said, in the context of like uh, youth consent for trans healthcare, he said that he'd let a twelve-year-old get a tattoo, which is fucking <laughs> insane. Oh, he's he's a he's a parent. Um, so that was part of the context here. Is like people were aware of, especially the tweet about parents being tyrants, and they were like, "Huh, this is a pattern." Right, and so prostasia is that how you pronounce it? Prostasia. It's a strange name. I don't know. So. Yeah, Okay, so this organization, so Noah Berlaski does communications for this organization that is essentially, it's a, it's a, an, it's a nonprofit, but they do advocacy for what they call minor attracted persons, commonly known as pedophiles. And that, maps. Maps. And the Yeah, the term, yeah, yeah song, Maps. Yeah, is yeah, that's what it's about. And the term itself, we can address, address the term really briefly. The term is, the term maps is becoming more normalized. People argue that this is an effort to, uh, to like rebrand pedophilia and make it less like, I don't know, terrifying seeing and destigmatize it. So I got an email from an actual pedophile and the person explained to me the reason that they use the term map instead of the term pedophile. This is a quote. The assumption that the term map is some attempt to rebrand pe- pedophilia is pure hysteria. It was coined by mental health professionals and it's simply an umbrella term for pedophilia, hebophilia, etc. So this pedophilia is attraction to prepubescent children. Hebophilia is attraction to pubescent children. Uh, you said hebophilia or aphibophilia. I can never. There's both. There's hebophilia and there's what was the second one? Aphibophilia. There's the, the so the so uh, as soon as you talk about this, people will be like, why why are you making these distinctions? From the point of view of sex researchers, these are considered different like conditions, different paraphilias, and there might be reasons to, uh, as far as treatment is concerned, which we'll talk a little bit 
more about. There might be reasons to distinguish people in these different uh, camps. So I think some people, for understandable reasons, are like, why are you using the term map rather than pedophile? I get that. But it this is like a term that sex researchers and clinicians themselves use. Right. Because people who are attracted to you know, 16-year-olds are not technically pedophiles. Yeah, or 12-year-olds. Like someone who's like just – I mean it's yeah. creepy to talk about. But someone who's like just yeah. pubescent, that's like a type. Some of these guys yeah. are almost all guys have. There's prepubescent, yeah, pubescent and postpubescent basically are the three sort of broad categories here. We should say for folks who haven't read our work, you and I have both written a little bit about this, about like how to help help quote-unquote pedophiles not offend. And we've talked to sex researchers – who studied pedophilia. I had a long magazine article that was brutally killed, but which involved a lot of talks uh, with uh, clinicians and pedophiles themselves. So like we, we have over the years done some reporting on this issue. Right. We'll put links to some of our work in the, in the show notes. So one thing that there's a couple things that are really important to distinguish between here. And there is a difference between a pedophile or a map and a child, a child molester. And you can have pedophiles who are child abusers. You can have child abusers who are not pedophiles, who, uh, who, who abuse children for all different sorts of reasons. It can be a power trip. It can be access, can be lack of sex. Like there are just different motivations, could be some sort of weird fucking power trip. The classic example would be like if there's like a 40 year old guy who's just sort of a fuck up and has like, you know, cognitive problems or psychological problems and can't form relationships with adults, they might target children just because like that's sort of, it's, horrible, but that's like what they can get, not out of an intrinsic sort of attraction to children, but just like that's what's available. And this is important in part because pedophiles themselves, some of them don't offend. There's a population of pedophiles. Sometimes they're called virtuous pedophiles. Dan Savage turned the term, uh, uh, coined the term gold star pedophiles that describes people who have this attraction, which is essentially a sexual orientation. Um, and they don't, they don't act on it. That right there is like where a lot of people are just going to like turn this off or throw their phone across the room. As soon as you say pedophilia is like a sexual orientation, people assume yeah. you're trying to excuse it. We are not trying to excuse no. – f- it is a bad act to molest a ch- child. That like doesn't even require saying. The question- Depends on the child. <laughs> what were they wearing? No. Um, <laughs> it, it is obviously a bad act. It, it traumatizes – it causes tremendous harm. But the point is – some people have these urges. It appears to be hardwired it, in the brain. Uh, urges aren't even the way, the best way to put it, I think, in this case. Attractions. Yeah. It, and the, the best evidence available suggests it is like a sexual attraction in that people become aware of it around puberty. It doesn't go away and you, you can't make it go away unless you do like chemical castration or something. So. But even chemical castration, I mean, that would make uh, make things like urges go away, but it's probably still not going to change the ultimate attraction. Because the point is, for this population that we're going to be talking about today, these are pedophiles who do not act, who have who have decided, who have vowed, who do not act on their attractions. They live with this. It's like a chronic condition. Yeah. And of course, the challenge here is like we need to take them at their word that they're trying not to offend. But I, I do think – if someone snapped a finger and made it so that you were attracted to kids, that would be fucking horrible. And we under, I think the science is at a point where we can say this isn't like a moral failing. It is something people are saddled with that they didn't ask for. And I think that framing does help us like answer the question of how to protect kids and, and how to prevent child abuse. And a lot of the stuff we're talking about is based on um, the work of James Cantor. And then some neurologists who have um, basically found that what they think is happening is there's sort of this cross wiring. It's like a it's like a problem with your brain where you look at a kid and what you're supposed to feel 
if you feel anything is like some sense of nurturing of wanting to protect them, you feel something sexual instead because basically to oversimplify uh, wires are crossed in your brain. That's the theory right now. So basically what this organization Prostasia does is, is advocate on behalf of these people. And they do need advocates, like there are mandatory reporting laws in some places, so that if you go to a therapist and you say, look, I'm attracted to children and I need help, not even I have hurt a child, but I'm attracted to children, then there are mandatory reporting laws so that you can get you know, you can get prosecuted, you can get in deep fucking trouble. And I taught, as we'll discuss in a little while, I ended up talking to a bunch of maps, um, before this podcast. I talked to one, a guy who was in the military. He told, he sought therapy for PTSD after a terrible deployment, told his therapist that, uh, he was attracted to children, not that he was hurting and or not that he was, had ever hurt any of them. Um, and the therapist reported him and he was arrested by the military police and spent months in solitary confinement. Yeah. And, and that's where this gets tricky because we want to make it easier for people who want help to get help. And, and there's projects in Germany and Canada. We can include links in the show notes, uh, to try to make that happen. I've talked to clinicians who, that none of them believe that that it's excusable to hurt a child to molest a child they but they also believe that the that pedophiles don't have any control over these urges and that some of them are seeking Wait, out help yeah I, I think you i think it's really important to you like when you say urges i think that gives people the impression that this is an act yeah like it's transient or yeah right right transient. it's attraction it, yeah. be, it, because after speaking with a bunch of pedophiles i asked them like is this something that is hard for you to control and what they told me is no i would never it's never been hard for me not to hurt a child i know that i can't do it and i'm never going to do it meaning the attraction is always there but the urge the to act is on there. it is not yeah right okay. right it's not like that's one of the things that that um that I think is frustrating for this population is that they are seen as sort of ticking time bombs. And I talked to Elizabeth Bruning, who is one of Noah Berlatsky's biggest critics and was was definitely involved in this this like latest uh <laughs> clusterfuck at Twitter over Noah, and that she does sort of see these people as like coyotes in a way. Um, and she's done reporting on, on Catholic sex abuse scandal. And so she comes from this with this like real terror and terror of this, of this population. But I'm not, we are not talking about people who abuse children. We are talking about people who have an attraction that they were probably born with. Well, so uh, devil's advocate to me, someone who's attracted to children is a ticking time bomb in that like sexual attraction is a powerful force. And, how I don't know why should I be confident that someone who doesn't have access to like a therapist will be able to control it forever? That that's a big ask for someone over the course of decades of what would be a sexually active life. They're just going to suppress that. Jesse, you're attracted to women, right? Yes. Is it hard for you not to rape them? No, but I can have <laughs> once in a while. I can have consensual sex with women. If, imagine that situation where you you had no access to the consensual variety. I mean. But you still know the difference between yes and between right and wrong. And there are, I mean, it, it's not like people who can't get sex are out raping women all the time. If you're an adult, obviously some people have problems with impulse control. But if you're an adult, and let's say, come on, you've gone through a dry spell before. Even in a dry Never. spell. <laughs> I lost my virginity when I was 10. Uh, <laughs> you, I mean, you've seen it, Katie. You know what I want. I could whatever. Uh, it, I get mobbed. It's like Beatlemania when I walked out. And I'm sure it was push. consensual. It was with Noah Berlowski. <laughs> well, okay. Obviously, no. Men do not immediately start raping when they go through a dry spell. But 
I just think having this orientation and, and asking someone from the age of like 15 till they die to never act on it. Anyway, I think maybe now I'm being pedantic about the ticking time bomb thing. But I think pedophiles themselves, don't they often understand that unless they have resources, they might be at risk of offending? No, I mean, a lot of the reason that they seek each other, that they seek support is because of the stigma. This is what they told me. So I got – so the reason I talked to these pedophiles – I guess we should back up a little bit before we get into the like the, the, the nuts of the issue. So the Prostatia Foundation. So there's a lot of rumors circulating about what they do, much of them on Twitter. Some of them are true and some of them are false. A lot of them center around this uh, – a, a chat group, a forum called uh, Map Support Group. Map support group is not actually run by Prostasia. It is a, it was an existing group on a Discord. Discord shut them down. I wrote about this in 2018. Prostasia is basically a fiscal sponsor for this group, but they don't run it. There's no like day to day. The Prostasia people are not, are not the moderators of this group. It's a volunteer run, run thing. And there's, they have a bunch of rules. One of the rules is that minors over the age of 13 are allowed in this chat group. When people saw this on Twitter, they went fucking nuts because to a lot of people, what this sounds like is a perfect opportunity for grooming because you have adult pedophiles in the same chat rooms as children. And, and so you're saying Prestasia didn't – I had thought too that they like hosted this no. group. You're saying Prestasia just provided it as a resource. Right. I mean, they do, they do like financial sponsorship. They're, they have a, they have a relationship with this group, but they don't run it. It's not Prostasia gotcha. Foundation members running this group. It's an all volunteer group. Okay. With you. Okay. So, and it's been around for, it's been around for five years. Okay. So I got into this group. They, I reached out to the, to the, uh, to the forum and they let me sit in, in a couple of different rooms. There are a ton of rules into, to get into this group. One of the rules is that minors are not allowed to have direct messages with anybody unless there are two moderators present. And they started this rule because they were having, they were, they were concerned about this. There was some incident when they felt like a minor was being, was being groomed. And so they shut off minors access to DMs. This was controversial so, within the group. So historically there was an issue with grooming at uh, one point. It, there was at least one incident. Okay. Okay. So why do they allow minors in these groups? It's a valid question. Here's why. Because they're hot. Because <laughs> where else are you going to find them? Find them, find ones that won't tell their parents. Okay. So the reason they allow minors in these groups is because pedophilia typically emerges around the age of 12 or 13. When you, re- when you start to go through puberty and you realize that the people that you were attracted to are younger and they are staying young and minors basically don't have any resources. And this is a, this, it sounds weird to say this, but this is actually a safe space for them because it is heavily moderated. You cannot, there's no like funny business on this site that I was able to see. They, uh, let me just read you a couple of the rules. The first rule, you must be committed to never engaging in sexual activity with a child under any circumstances. No discussion about wanting to lower the age of consent wherever it is that, that you live. You're not allowed to debate whether or not adult sexual relationships are fundamentally okay and only harmful due to societal attitudes and reactions to its discovery. This is an anti-contact support chat. We do not support the idea that adult child sexual activity is without risk and or harm. 
Um, you cannot debate the acceptability of dating children and whether or not it causes harm. There's just there's a ton of rules with stuff like this. And and as far as you can tell, these rules were in place all along. They weren't like put on a show or anything. No, no, this is not new. These have been rules from the group from the beginning. I I interviewed the guy who founded this group. He's since stepped away, but when it was a yeah. Discord, this guy Ender. Um, yeah, no, this has always been a group for non-offending pedophiles. If you want to go to a place where you can trade kitty porn and groom children, those places exist on the internet. This is not it, not, not that. So that's the reason they allow kids in this group because they, they think that kids who are discovering this attraction need some place to go and they want it to be as safe as possible for them. When it comes to DMs, you can't, you can't, uh, they have some sort of, some like, uh, photo scanning software. So you can't trade photos of kitty porn. You can't post pictures of kids on the chat, but you also can't, trade kitty porn because your chats are being monitored. Um, there's You can't have sexually explicit descriptions. They take this stuff really, really seriously. And I asked the group members how, you know, I talked to the moderators. They say it's heavily moderated, but is it? And they said, yes, it is heavily moderated. They kick people out if they violate the rules immediately. And when people admit to illegal contact, they report them to the police. Okay. I mean, that all – so the tricky part here is like in theory – this is sort of the harm reduction philosophy, right? Because yes. if we cry, if everything you're saying is true and they have these guard posts, then shutting down a group like this or stigmatizing it would cause harm. Because if you're like a 13 year old and you have these feelings, there aren't a lot of other resources available to you at this time. I talked to a 15 year old in the group and he said that he had never been groomed. There nothing untoward had, had happened to him. And he also said, I want to die. I want to make these feelings go away. These people are suicidal. I mean, yeah. not all of them, of course, but I asked, I also asked about this, like, how often is suicide a problem in this group? And they said, it's a problem. It happens. And there are hundreds of people in this group. They take this, the point is, they take this really, really seriously. This is not, the, the rumors on Twitter are basically that this was like a fucking, like, a forum to trade kitty porn and recruit children. And it's just not what that is. It's a, it's a group, it's a support group. And what people were talking about, it was kind of funny. I mean, mostly what they were talking about was Twitter drama when I was there. And there's, <laughs> like, there's lots of disagreement. A lot of people are like, the problem is fucking Noah Ber- they, The problem is that they hired fucking Noah Berlaski. Someone said, the lesson here is never hire someone who's terminally online. Because their group is now getting all of this attention because of Noah's connecting, connection to Persasia. Yeah. I mean, I, I think part of the – again, it, it's hard to get pedantic – when pedophilia is a subject because people obviously want to protect kids. But I think the error some people are making, and I think Liz might've been making this error is there's a difference between destigmatizing that process of a 13 year old talking about having these feelings and destigmatizing child sex. And there is unfortunately in some leftist communities. And I think even more so in like, Certain uh, pockets of 20th century France, like they people would legitimately try Dude, to normalize. Fucking 1970s in the U.S., 1980s in the U.S. Like, yeah, yes, yeah. This was a thing. Like, there were actual pedophiles in some like LGBT groups and stuff. Not obviously the vast majority of people are against it, but it, it is a thing that happened. I understand why people want to guard against it, but there is a difference between saying, "Well, is is having sex with kids really that bad, or is it just society saying it's bad?" and saying. A 13-year-old who is a pedophile or a map or whatever you want to call it and is always going to feel this way, what should his options be to make sure he never hurts anyone? 
Right. So I asked a, a researcher about this, about having minors in this group. And here's what the sex researcher said. Given the evidence we have, these people start to realize their attractions to younger people and early, early adolescents. So it seems like a rational person can conclude that we should be supporting these people in their teens. So this is a way to try to help these people before they act, before they kill themselves um, for this thing that they didn't ask for. So I think a lot of the, the like, I understand why people are, are squicked out by this idea of pedophiles chatting with 13 year olds. I totally understand that. But if you actually look at what the group is doing, it's just not this. It's just not a grooming site. It's just it's just not like they take this stuff really, really seriously. And then they were, they are genuinely trying to help people. Now, I mean, I'm I'm trying to just inhabit the devil's advocate position here. People could say, "Sure, you're a journalist. You reached out. They're just they're saying that." Um, on the other hand, like if you're a pedophile and you are trying to groom a kid, I don't. Why would you go to a why chat room that here? does have like rules and seems right, to it doesn't be, make any sense? Yeah, yeah. And then also, so there's other other rumors about this group. So when I talked to Liz Bruning, she was under the impression that they wipe. The archives every 30 minutes, that's not true. So they have an automated pruning feature that runs every 30 minutes, but it doesn't, it doesn't delete post every 30 minutes. That's just not how it works. Um, it depends on what the channel is. Like they have a, within this chat, like the first channel is sort of a pre-screening. And so they delete that every 24 hours because they don't want lurkers or trolls to try to figure out people's personal information. Um, and then, uh, and then most channels have anywhere from three, a three to six months three to six months, uh, you know, archive. What do you mean pruning? Like it deletes the archive after a certain point. Oh, okay. So it does wipe what people. Yeah, but it's not every 30 minutes. It's every three to six months. Okay. That's right. Like it's just different. So I was able to go back into the archives in these different channels and I didn't see every channel. Like there's channels for art and music and just like a basic, these are not places where people just talk about pedophilia pedophilia and their problems. They talk about everything. I mean, they were talking about fucking Twitter drama. They were talking about Noah Berlatsky when I was there. Um, So I didn't see all of the channels, but the ones that I looked at, it was, I didn't see anything weird. And I went back into the archives and I didn't see there were, you know, I just didn't see anybody even arguing that like they should change the age of consent. There was no evidence of kiddie porn. Like it's just people who were talking with other people who are, who understand them without judgment. I do like, I do like that you literally went on the internet to look for kitty porn and you couldn't find my, it. My <laughs> my search history this week, I think I got put on a fucking list. <laughs> okay, so so that's the chat group. I just think there's been a lot of misinformation about what the purpose of the chat group is, how it functions. Um, but let's look at Prostasia, the organization itself. So Prostasia, this organization that is the fiscal sponsor of this chat group, but once again, doesn't run the chat group. Okay. So the organization itself does advocate for some policies that are going to squid people the fuck out for sure. Um, this was covered uh, in a couple of different outlets. This outlet 4W, which is a, a feminist site, a writer named Anna Saltz. Uh, here's what she wrote. The organization's efforts have dedicated themselves to crusades against child pornography bans, letter writing campaigns to state representatives demanding childlike sex dolls be kept legal, and funding research into, quote, fantasy sexual outlets for pedophiles. This is kind of true and kind of not true. Okay, the the crusade against child pornography bans, they are not advocating for child pornography. What they want is people to not get arrested for things like erotica and cartoon drawings of children. And this has happened. So not that long ago, in the last year, a guy named Thomas Arthur, 
who uh, was basically, he ran a website in which people would trade and he would sell access to, to, or to, chi- to child abuse erotica. There were all sorts of disclaimers on the site saying that this had to be fictionalized. The site was started in 1996, so I'm sure I'm sure that some of it was not fiction. Some of it was probably true, but they didn't have any actual photos of actual children being harmed on this site. So it's a fantasy site, right? He was just sentenced to 40 years in prison for running this website. Okay, so sentenced to prison not for anything he did to kids, but for hosting a website that had fictional, supposedly fictional depictions of child. Yes. So he is a rapist. He was convicted 20 years ago on a rape charge. He was accused during the inve- this investigation of molestation and a rape. He seems like a very bad man. He was not charged. This 40-year charge had nothing to do with actual assault, actual child pornography. It was all written. Fan- it was all, it was fucking thought crime. I find this completely egregious. The guy can be a bad dude for sure, but 40 years for publishing fiction and drawings. I can go read fucking pull any Swedish murder book off of my shelves right now and find graphic descriptions about rape and murder. They are bestsellers. This guy, this guy gets 40 years in prison for publishing fiction. Was it, was it good? (laughs) You know, it was, it was, the site was taken down by the FBI, FBI before I could get a hold of it, unfortunately. (laughs) The, the symbolism was a little heavy-handed, a lot of unnecessary adverbs. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, okay. Yeah. So Prostasia is against things like this. I'm against things like this. I think everybody who cares about free speech and publishing and art and has any sense of like, what the fuck, I can get a book describing horrible things off of a bookshelf from the fucking public library, but this guy's going to get decades in prison for this. Like, I think everybody should be against this. Elizabeth Bruning is not against this. She is extremely like she thinks that the idea of 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 even fictional erotica or these child sex dolls and yes, Prestasia has campaigns to make child the possession of child sex dolls legal because they think that it's a harm reduction tactic, right? That by trading erotica, by having child sex dolls, VR child kitty porn and stuff, it's going to make people less likely to offend. And I asked the pedophiles in this group what they thought about this and they said yes, and I said do things like erotica or child sex doll images or whatever, drawings of, of, and these are people who are committed to not using actual kitty porn, but do, do fictionalized representations of these acts and of children. Does that help or hinder your progress? Does that make you more attracted? Does it make you less attracted? Does it increase your urges or decrease them? And they all said the same thing, which is that it's helpful. And this is, of course, anecdotal, but. They said that it was helpful. So did I, I saw one thing where Prostasia basically called for research into this question, but, but they've also formally opposed bans on child sex dolls. Yes. So, okay. so here's the question. Do child sex dolls help or hurt the, the cause of the virtuous pedophile? Do they make it you more or less likely to offend? And the answer is, we don't know because this has never been studied. It's interesting because I've heard different things from clinicians on this. And like, I, I remember hearing a clinician tell me, he was against it because he was worried it would reinforce the attraction. But if the if the attraction is just a sexual orientation, you can't get rid you of it anyway. Yeah. It, it shouldn't matter, yeah. Okay. So here the the extremely icky question is whether this might be a quote-unquote safe outlet for these feelings that are not going to go away anyway or whether they could cause harm beyond like the symbolic harm of child sex dolls existing. Right. It's The question is does it make you more or less likely to offend? And the answer is we don't know. 
Okay. Yeah, that's my that's my sense of the literature. So yeah. So so you think what's happening is when people say Prostasia is in favor of the legalization of child sex dolls. Uh, I mean, they're they're understandably disgusted by that. But you're saying that that disgust should be leavened by the possibility they they could help make real kids safer. Yes. So. There's also a difference between what Prostasia actually does, which is, yes, advocate for the legality, like the possession of these dolls and things like I saw online, which is that they provide pedophiles with sex dolls. That's not true. Sex dolls aren't, aren't legal in many like jurisdictions. You think a nonprofit's going to fucking do that? Yeah, Ben Ben Burgess um, had an I, – I quoted him earlier, Time Up Berlatsky, and he had an otherwise good thread on some of this where he says – it amazes me that a dude whose whole deal was making hair trigger over the top accusations, trying to get people fired, etc. That's all true. I don't, I don't know if Berlaski tried to get people fired, but he definitely made shitload of accusations. If he thought he could advertise his affiliation with a manufacturer of child sex dolls without, you know, insert your favorite reaping sowing cliche here. So you're saying that's ridiculous. The idea that Prestige manufactures child sex that's dolls is a false? ridiculous idea. They're a nonprofit. They're a foundation. They are not a fucking what you think they're like. Ben thinks they're they run like a factory in China. This is that's a rid- ridiculous supposition. Okay, uh, okay. So they don't manufacture child sex dolls, but they are, so- and they don't provide sex dolls. They like write letters to the fucking Congress people or whatever. They're in favor of child sex dolls. Though. Yeah, they think they should be legal. I mean, okay. I I feel so disgusted by the idea. I'm more disgusted by the idea of a real – if you could like prove to me that would reduce the probability of a real kid getting hurt, I would feel – I understand why people are disgusted by that is what I'm saying. Sure, but we can't – I mean that's the thing. Like Elizabeth Bruning thinks the opposite. She thinks that child – she's like convinced that child sex dolls make people more likely to offend and she shouldn't be because we don't know the answer to that question. I guess like you could make us – OK. So there's all this weird uh, – I don't get it. But there is a thing – of like basically rape porn and like violent porn. And I could see that like normalizing that and getting people closer to the reality makes them more likely to do bad acts. I guess that's not crazy. Well, that, I, yeah. I, I think you're just totally wrong about that. I mean, how many people do you think watch violent, weird fucking porn who don't actually go out and rape somebody? Well, the- people can have fan- – we should have Dan weigh in on this. But people – like having an active imagination doesn't mean you're going to act on this thing. I guess like the whole the whole idea of like BDSM is to have safe spaces to explore yes. these fantasies. Right. right. Like this idea of domination. I mean you can go to clubs where people do this. It's trying to have a safe place to act out your fantasies. Fantasies do not equal action any more than like video games equal mass shooters. Uh, no, I, I – I- I've always like said we shouldn't let disgust make our legal or moral decisions for us. I think I am hung up on how disgusted I am about the idea of someone fucking a doll that looks like a child. Jesse, you have a, your girlfriend is a actual horse. <laughs> Come on, you of all people should know. Love is love is love is love is whatever. <sighs> okay, so all right, so let's just let's just address some of the other allegations against Prostasia. And there's one that I think is actually maybe has some merit. And this is something that Elizabeth Bruning pointed out. She doesn't think this is – so they they market themselves as a child protection group because they are trying to reduce harm, not just for minor pedophiles but also the potential victims of pedophiles. But they're also a pedophile advocacy group. And to Elizabeth Bruning, you can't be both. 
And there could be some merit here. The question that like branding might just get, the messages might be too confused. Okay. I, I think I disagree with Liz here. I did a piece a long time ago I'll link to basically arguing that there's no evidence that our sex offender, offender registry system makes anyone safer because it, it pushes sex offenders into desperate situations like sleeping under bridges and stuff. People in desperate situations are more likely to offend. I think that logic should prevail here, where the more people feel cut off and unable to talk about their feelings and unable to seek help, the more likely they are to target kids. So whatever qualms or questions I have about prestige, I I do think those two different things can actually uh, complement one another. What do you think? Oh, I think you're, I think you're right about that. I mean, just from a sort of a marketing perspective, it might just be too difficult to make those two things seem congruent to the outside when they have a lot of convincing to do. Um, but I mean, I think fundamentally they are trying to be both things. Yeah. So she had more complaints. So she tweeted, and again, this one has been deleted, but she tweeted the other day, Hey, you know what? I can't figure out why would Prostasia, a child protection organiza- organization, Published the name of a website the FBI had intentionally kept sealed in a criminal complaint published only a week prior because it was actively pursuing child molesters on that very site. So the site that she's talking about is the site that Thomas Arthur ran where he was selling and people were trading written, uh, you know, written child pornography, written child erotica, not photos. So she just is taking a different, a different like definition of child pornographer here. When I think of child pornographer, I think of someone hurting actual living, breathing children, not fictionalized versions of them or like anime characters. Yeah. It's like a difference of whether, you know, she's in favor of someone being jailed for that. And I think you and I have some questions about it. So it's sort of, um, it, it just hinges on whether or not it, their their policy position is that that shouldn't be criminalized. Whatever you think about that, to make that argument, they have to mention the site in question, I think. Right. And so I asked Jeremy Malcolm, who's the executive director at Prostasia, about about this claim that they were basically tipping off child molesters by by posting the name of this website. And he said the site had been taken down. They couldn't access it anymore because the FBI had already taken down the site. So he figured out the name and like posted it online. Oh, uh, so that's a timeline issue with Liz's account. Right. It, the site was already down. And she seems to have known yeah. this because she said the FBI rated it a week before. And I should say like Liz, when I chatted with her, like she is like more than willing to be wrong about this issue. I really appreciate her own epistemic humility. I think she just has this real – she's a mother – she has this real visceral reaction to something like written child pornography. Well, she's also, she's also, I mean, let's not, she, she does she's have Catholic different, too. Yeah. yeah, she's Catholic and she's not socially liberal the way we are. Right. She's not. She like doesn't, right. she has stronger feelings about like just normal porn too. And that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So I'm, I think you and I and the people who research this stuff are just looking at it from a different angle. And for her, it's just sort of clouded by her own morality. And I don't think there's anything <laughs> which we don't have. <laughs> different day, no, I was going to say different day. We think child yeah. pornography is great. Yeah. Liz is against it. Yeah. You know, and so I don't like, I don't begrudge her opinion on this. I think her opinion is, is valid. It's not one that I hold. Um, but there has been lots of misinformation circulating about this organization that does do some things that people are going to consider icky, like advocating for the legalization of child sex dolls. But they're, they're sort of, I guess the way to put it is like, I think their heart's in the right place. I think they are, I know <laughs> the pedophile defenders' hearts are in the right place because I think they are genuinely trying to make life better 
for to re, re reduce the likelihood of children being harmed. And I think they're also trying to save the lives of people who have a fucking shitty, shitty lot, lot in life that they, you know, for whatever reason, like their brains are a little bit fucked up, possibly. And a lot yeah. fucked up. And uh they have this attraction that they didn't ask to have. And I should say, my thinking about this has changed. And it, that part of that was listening to Savage Love, where years ago Dan was talking about gold star pedophiles and the problems with uh, with pedophiles who report their attraction to therapists. And then this story that was um, aired on This American Life a few years ago by a reporter named Luke Malone, where he interviewed a young, a teenage, a teenage pedophile, and it was a heartbreaking story. And we'll put a link to the show notes. But people we, should listen to that because that'll, yeah. that'll help you better understand where we're coming from. Why we're yeah. what we're saying is not as weird as you think it is. If you think it's weird, right, right. But it also puts us in this very weird position, the worst position to be in, because at the same time that Noah Berlansky is a the worst fucking person on the internet, this is the one case where I don't think that Noah Berlansky is actually in the wrong. I think it's weird that he took this job with Prostasia. I personally wouldn't work for the organization just because something like this was bound to happen. Um, but is there something inherently wrong with working with this group? I don't think so at all. You know, Noah's not the only person we know who works with this group. James Cantor also does. James Cantor is one of the foremost researchers on pedophilia. He's a sex researcher in, in Canada. Um, one funny thing about this group, this the chat group that I was in yesterday which again is only tangentially connected with Prostasia, is that James Cantor is very controversial in this group. There was a lot of debate about I asked, you know, I asked them like, what do people fight about? And one of the things they said was James Cantor. Because there's a huge number of trans people in this group. And I got the demographics and the breakdown was it was like overwhelmingly male, uh, like 10 or 12% female, and then like 7% trans. So there's a lot of trans people in this group. And they hate James Cantor because they think that he's transphobic. Whole, whole other thing. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Uh, this brought Noah Berlatsky and James Cantor under the same roof. That's funny. Right, right, right. And and yes, as much as, as Noah Berlatsky hates you, I'm sure that his next ebook could also have a chapter on James Cantor. I mean, as people have pointed out on Twitter, it's like, it's very tempting to not extend the principle of charity to Noah Berlatsky. And I will say, like, I think his his whole spiel about, like, he did something for Prestige's website about basically arguing that teenagers aren't impulsive. And yeah. he, he misunderstood a lot of brain science. He, like, he took a study that was basically, like, we don't fully understand the mechanisms that make teenagers uh, more impulsive than adults and misread it as he always does as as implying that scientists aren't even sure if teenagers are more impulsive there's a lot of evidence teenagers are more impulsive so yeah i think this whole side project of his to like pretend 12 and 13 year olds should be able to make uh have a lot more autonomy than they do is is misguided and is compatible with some creepy shit i I don't think his association with this group is inherently anywhere near as bad as people are saying and it's it's very tempting to not extend him this charity because he's such a fucking asshole and he would can you imagine if the roles were reversed what he would be saying about us oh there would be a fucking ebook out about about it now he so i can see why people think that noah is a pedophile sympathizer because he literally is i can see why they think he's a pedophile apologist because he's also that uh do i think he's actually a pedophile well he has written some stuff that yes he writes a lot about about the autonomy of children about about, you know, just even the tweet, fucking parents are tyrants. Like he does, 
I don't know if he's written a lot about it, but he, it's like a, th- a theme he's returned to. Right. And his blog po- – so he writes uh, – he's written a handful of blog posts for Prostasia. And the only one that under normal circumstances you would think like this is a weird thing to see on a on a pedophilia website is this one about the neuroscience behind teenage brains, which as you mentioned, he gets shit wrong, of course. The others are just like standard pro-sex work shit. I just found another Patreon thing he did. What's so scary about autonomy for young people – and then he's quoting – Yeah. So for that guy, the guy who's also like constantly talking about autonomy for young people working for a pedophile foundation, well, duh. Like no wonder people think he's a pedo. Yeah. This is actually – I'm sorry. I'm looking now at this Patreon thing. This is other backstory we should have included. So back in um March – I can't even read this tweet. It's so stupid. I basically said on Twitter, and I'm inserting myself for a reason you'll understand in a minute. Um, I, I did a screen cap of Noah Berlatsky saying, quote, would you let your 12-year-old get a tattoo checkmate? As in, why would you let a 12-year-old go on hormones or blockers? Berlatsky's response to would you let a 12-year-old get a tattoo is, I mean, sure. I mean, you'd probably talk about you'd probably talk about what and where and why a bit, but if it's something they really wanted, it's their body. He's saying that of a 12-year-old. What if the, the 12-year-old wants a tattoo of a pedophile flag? <laughs> there you go. Th- that that attitude toward a 12-year-old, if it's something they really want, it's their body. A 12-year-old who you are both morally and legally responsible for protecting as a parent, I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. Anyway, he said that. I did the little thing and I, I basically said like, I feel like people like, – because he gets in so many fights, I pe- feel like people ignore some of his more low-key bad takes that don't get as much attention. I was basically just poking fun at him. Liz Bruning responded – this is in March – to me. Ah, uh, yes. The guy who says parents are, quote, oppressors liberate the children to do as they please with their bodies. Right, dude? Yeah, don't let me see you within 500 feet of an <laughs> elementary school. So Liz Brunig in March is calling him a pedophile. This caused a major shitstorm among Noah's online friends who tend to hate Liz for other reasons. And she eventually deleted that tweet and apologized obliquely for it, just saying I did a bad tweet. So Liz had basically accused Noah of pedophilia because of his horrible Well, tweet. like in a joking – well, yeah. In a joking way, yeah. Don't let me with it. Yes, you're right. It is. It wasn't like an official accusation, but Noah had taken umbrage at that accusation, and then so this in the last week, everyone's like, "Oh, it turned out Liz Brunig is right," which is funny, but is not fair. I don't think. Yeah, totally. Um, so Jesse, what do we think? Is Noah Berlatsky a pedophile? Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> if, if after an hour of going through the evidence, we're like, "Yep, clearly, yep, no." Yep. I, I, I think we got his browser history and the answer is yes. He embodies like all the worst habits of punditry and journalism right now. He sucks. He's unfair. He acts in a genuinely immoral manner. He spreads libel about people. As I said, these are all separate questions from whether he's a pedophile. He's not a pedophile. Many of his beliefs are not far from our beliefs. Although I don't think either of us thinks you should let a tat 12 year old get a tattoo. But in terms of. Sorry, I think 13-year-old pedophiles should have a place to talk about how to manage their condition or their orientation or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I agree with some of the prestigious stuff, even if I'm squicked out by some of it. You know, this is really – you and I actually really do win here because this is the ultimate fuck you to Noah is that nobody is defending him except for us. It's pretty awesome. It uh, makes me feel morally superior. I also noted it was really funny – Noah Noah's online circle is really weird and includes some like true credence, like Arthur Chu, who's best known for winning some Jeopardy games in like two thousand, I don't know, fourteen. 
basically became, so these people are like internet micro celebrities. They have a very dysfunctional culture where most of their life is lived off online. And if they like the wrong tweet or are affiliated with the wrong person, it causes them a lot of trouble. It's like, it, it's very sort of Maoist. And Arthur Chu did a dozens of tweets on Tweetstorm officially denouncing his friend, Noah Berlatsky. I think they're friends. Um, it was so good. It was so good. He was like, I officially unfollow him. So he does this big public denunciation. Uh, and then he says, if Noah wants to change my mind about this, he can reach out to me yeah, privately. Yeah. So publicly, I'm going to denounce him. If he wants to talk about it and present his side, let's do that in private. I think that Noah is going to unblock both of us. I think that's what's going to happen. I think that there's a friendship blooming here. Uh, I think he should be the third cause. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Blocked and reported and shut the fuck up. We're going to post a bunch of resources in the show notes, a bunch of writing on this stuff. Again, I highly recommend that anybody who is uh, who hasn't listened to it, listen to the This American Life episode, Tarred and Feathered. We will also post a link to that in the show notes. Allow the possibility that your mind might be changed about this. Just open your mind just a little bit. Open your mind, yes. Uh, not to the possibility Noah Berlatsky's good. Not that no, wide. But that to the closed. possibility like pedophiles have some moral worth. Yeah, sure. Look, he might not be a pedophile, but he still sucks. Oh, by the <laughs> way, I asked the Jeremy Malcolm executive director of Prostasia if uh, Noah is going to get fired or, or resign, and he said no, he hasn't done anything wrong. I mean, other yeah, other than having bad takes. That's true, right? I mean, what has he done? I mean, he's done a lot of shit. He hasn't wrong, really helped the organization not, not by saying twelve-year-olds should get tattoos if they really, if they really want them. I wonder. I'm really curious about how he ended up at this foundation. I mean, maybe they saw those tweets and they were like, "One of us." I'm sure there's an interesting story there, but uh, this guy, man, this guy. This has been blocked and reported. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, it's aphibophilia, not pedophilia. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, if you see Noah Berlaski lurking around any playgrounds, it's probably fine, we think. <laughs> <laughs>